Hey, before we get into today's discussion, I just had a couple of announcements. To all my listeners in the U.S., I hope you all had a happy and, more importantly, safe Thanksgiving. It's easy to get caught up in the holiday hype around this time of year, but let's remember to play things safely. Unfortunately, there is still a pandemic raging and worsening, so let's all continue to do the right thing and wear a mask, practice social distancing, and listen to guidelines from our health officials. I want to take a moment to give a huge thank you to our essential workers and first responders on the front lines of this all. You are the true heroes, and the sacrifices you're making every day to keep us safe are truly incredible. You have our heartfelt thanks and immeasurable gratitude. Thank you. Now, it's time for a segment we like to call Search Your Readings. Last week's discussion question was, Qui-Gon and Yoda's views on studying prophecies clearly diverge. Yoda teaches to tread carefully out of caution of falling to the dark side, where Qui-Gon weighs the benefits against the risks. Which view do you think makes sense for the Order at large? If Qui-Gon were on the Council, do you think he would be able to change their perception of prophecies to grow closer to his own? And now let's get into some listener responses. On Twitter, Simon answered, For the Order, I think Qui-Gon's views are better. It would allow the Order to explore more and thus have more knowledge, instead of being too afraid of the dark side to explore. They would just need to keep checking if those exploring did not fall to the dark side. If Qui-Gon were on the Council, he'd have a much better chance to change their perception. However, most, if not all, of the Council is very dogmatic, and he'd probably need a long time to slowly convince them one by one, if at all. Thank you, Simon, for that answer. Let's get on to Doug's answer. He wrote in, First part, I don't think their approaches are diametrically opposed. Yoda preaches caution, which I think is probably right. To quote Yoda in Empire Strikes Back, Always in motion the future is. Also, the first line of the Jedi Code is, There is no emotion, there is serenity. We see how that affects Anakin with his Padme vision, directly leading him to being the cause of what he feared. Then, Qui-Gon is more curious and willing to take more from a prophecy than maybe Yoda would, but that doesn't mean he abandons caution. He certainly has much more convictions based on prophecy, but we do see the Council put some stock in it too. For the second part, possibly yes. Having a voice in the room that puts more stock in them certainly could trend the overall Council approach further toward it, but could also temper Qui-Gon's convictions too. Thank you all so much for these answers, and stay tuned at the end of this episode for our upcoming question. Now, let's get into episode 24 of Outer Rim Reads. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 24 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through various Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we will be walking through and discussing chapters 6 through 8 of Master and Apprentice, and I am joined today by the host of the TSO Book Club podcast and the Space Buns videocast, Amanda. Amanda, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. I... Just lost what I was going to say. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> hey, 
I am doing fantastic, and it is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I am excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I was telling you off air how I've, you know, I'm a fan of the TSO Book Club podcast. I've, you know, been listening to every like monthly review episode that wouldn't. Uh, like wouldn't spoil a book for me that I haven't already read. So every book that I've read and that you guys have covered, I have listened and I really enjoy the work that you do with your other hosts there. But I'll, and I'll give you a chance to talk about that later. But I'm excited to have you on the show to talk about Master and Apprentice. Before we get started, though, do you mind giving the listeners kind of like your background on Star Wars and then specifically with Master and Apprentice? With Star Wars, I started dating my now fiance and he is a Star Wars... Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, And this was a little over two years back and we were friends before that and he is a Star Wars super fan. He has his own network that we now host the book club on and he is a super collector. So our house is like a giant Star Wars museum. Um, sounds so, amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. It's honestly really um, surreal to walk around every day and be literally surrounded. This is Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> <laughs> I live on that too. Bright suns. <laughs> so that's kind of my everyday. Um, you can't love him and not love Star Wars. So he got me into the Star Wars universe. <laughs> I've always been involved in fandom, but not quite to this extent. And after Star Wars Celebration last year... I got out of it with him and I was like, okay, I want to participate now. Not just like as a fan learning about the Star Wars universe, but I want to participate in a podcast. I want to start something. I am so inspired just being at Celebration. And that's where the TSO Book Club was born. And Master and Apprentice specifically was released. The special edition book was released at Star Wars Celebration with the uh, special edition cover that we got and we decided to make that the first book of our book club. So this was I did not know that. Yeah. So this one is like the beginning of my baby. <laughs> so it's a really sentimental book for me. And it's in one wow. of my favorite eras of Star Wars. For sure. First of all, I had I did not know that this book had such a special place in art. So I'm even more excited to have you on the show to talk about it. Um that is so cool. I I mean I haven't been to celebration before. I hope to go when all this when the world is somewhat back to normal. Uh, but that is so incredible. I mean, first of all, that you literally live on Batu, and then you know, <laughs> this book was able to kick off your TSO book club journey. That is so cool. And that makes me even more excited that you're now on the show to talk about some really good chapters that we've got today. And it's it's a lot. So I think we should just dive right in. I'll give my chapter summary for chapter six, and we can talk about what we've got in front of us. All righty, let's go. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are summoned to Chancellor Kaj's office to discuss their new mission to Pijal. Kaj informs them of the Pijal hyperspace corridor that has formed through the Barnum Mall, a nebula that has been disrupting old hyperspace routes through the area. The Pijal corridor is vital to the world in the region that have since been cut off from trade because of the Mall. The two Jedi learn about the Opposition, a terrorist group trying to undermine stability on Pijal ever since the new hyperspace corridor was discovered. Chancellor Kaj tells them about Pijal Regent Jedi Rail Avaros and his attempts to push through a treaty that would end Pijal's isolationism and allow for the Republic to control the corridor and for other worlds to use it. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are tasked to prevent any loss of life on Pijal and to make sure the treaty is completed. 
So there is probably the biggest chunk of exposition we gather about the Pijal conflict of what's going to be going on there pretty much throughout the rest of the book in this chapter. Before we get into the finer details of the chapter itself, what were your thoughts on chapter six overall? Chapter six, I really like these three chapters specifically getting into the book because these chapters are setting the stage for everything else that happens afterwards and they are planting the seeds that we will see come to fruition towards the end of the book. So these are some of my favorite chapters, especially rereading them because I know the connotation behind what Claudia Gray is writing here and it's masterful. It's Not masterful and apprenticeful. <laughs> <laughs> No pun intended. <laughs> someone had someone had to say it. <laughs> uh, which is kind of crazy when you think about it that we're on chapter six of the book. You know, we're some 50 pages in. And to some, it might seem a little unconventional that we're still kind of at the setting the stage point for the rest of the book. Already a, a small chunk of the book in, but... Something that I've found in, in rereading this and, you know, covering it so far in the in this new season is that the job that Claudia is doing at setting that stage and all the layers and the depth to it, it's just unparalleled. It's like you're saying, a masterful job at doing so. And I can't complain. I can't complain. She's honestly one of my favorite Star Wars authors to read because of how well she executes everything throughout her book and how she sets the stage. Yeah, so we start off the chapter. Qui-Gon is doing a very Qui-Gon-esque thing where he's retreated to the Jedi Temple Gardens. He's got the weight of this big decision of whether or not to join the council and consequently to leave Obi-Wan in the master-apprentice relationship. So it's, it's a lot to process, a lot to think about. I love here where Qui-Gon's, he's kind of noting all the places that he could have gone in the temple. You know, they have, uh, he's talking about sensory deprivation pods to meditation paths, which is pretty cool. You know, the more we learn about the temple and what it has to offer in these early chapters, I'm really blown away by. But he chooses to go to the gardens where, quote, he felt steadiest when anchored to life. So he'd gone to the Temple Gardens. And I think that embodies Qui-Gon as we know him, you know, albeit briefly from the canon material that we've got, where he's surrounding himself with the living force. And, you know, even if it's just in the embodiment of just plants around him, and he's touching this Felucian fern and just feeling how its presence is literally just peace. It's a relatively small scene, but it just speaks to his character and everything that we could expect from Qui-Gon and choosing to surround himself with the Force in any kind of embodiment. I was blown away by this. I don't know about you, but when I was reading this part, I could hear the calm tenor of Liam Neeson's voice <laughs> narrating it. And it was just like very soothing to read from his perspective. Um, yeah. You feel calm yourself just by how he's describing everything. Exactly. It's so, you know, I think Qui-Gon a lot of the times embodies this serenity that is becoming of a Jedi and it literally translates to the reader. I thought, you know, when I was reading the scene, I just didn't want it to end. I want to know more about his experience here and just like the peace of the gardens around him. But we do get this interesting quote where he's reminiscing on his uh, experiences with his former master, Dooku, where, you know, he's contrasting what he's feeling from this Felucian fern, of this peace that he, he's feeling from this fern, to a tree that he experienced with Dooku that was apparently strong in the dark side. And I was thinking, are, are Sith trees confirmed? I, <laughs> is this something that we've never heard about? A, a, I don't know what a Darth, Darth Willowist, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I was just, I... I <laughs> 
What, like a Sith root? <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, there's, over here is my Sith succulent, you know? Just oh, like... my Sith succulent. There we go. <laughs> we need this in canon. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, I know that we, we know that Dagobah was strong in the dark side. So maybe that's like uh, any kind of mm-hmm. previous glimpse we got at, you know, maybe life on a planet being associated strongly with the dark side and he's thinking about something that Dooku had told him when Qui-Gon was shocked when he felt this dark side presence from this tree that he's reminiscing on and Dooku said quote darkness is part of nature too equally as fundamental as the light and that's so curious do you think is Dooku right is the dark side's mere presence a statement towards this balance that we always hear about in the force where that even some plants need it, even in its darkest form. Um, I completely think that Dooku was right in that. I mean, Dooku, obviously, as we know, went way far the other way. But in order for there to be balance, there has to be light. We wouldn't know what light was, what good was, without there being dark to contrast it to. Now, when they are out of balance, too much of either isn't good. But... I mean, he's correct. There has to be, within everything in life, a balance of light and dark. If there is not death, there is not life. That is so true. I couldn't agree even more. And, you know, it's, I know that the conversation within the fandom has, you know, taken different paths before where some people perceive restoring balance to the force as destroying the dark because the dark kind of perverts the light in in some people's opinions. I can see that, but I think I, I would agree more where, like you're saying, we couldn't know what light was if we didn't have the darkness from, from whence it could erupt. So I, I totally agree. I think, you know, Dooku did, like you're saying, he went way off the deep end a little bit too far, but it's cool to see these moments where Qui-Gon can reflect on what he learned from Dooku in a way where Qui-Gon's not trending down that path, but he can still see the value in these things that Dooku had told him before. Yeah, and we don't even know, well, Qui-Gon is not even yet aware of whether or not Dooku has fallen to the Sith. Dooku, as far as they know, has just left the Jedi Order because he disagreed with their ideals. Exactly, and I wonder if you know, in the last episode, we had ended on this flashback scene of youngling Qui-Gon. I, I called him Young-Gon. Um, Young-Gon interacting with Dooku for the first time. And I wonder, as, as those flashback scenes progress through the book, if we'll get more about if Qui-Gon has any insight into what actually happened with Dooku. Because they had a closer relationship than, you know, any other Jedi and Dooku, maybe except for Yoda, because Yoda used to be his teacher. But uh, just a very interesting scene, you know, only a page in, and that's just such a pack topic that I could probably devote an entire episode to. But we move on to Chancellor Kaja's office because Qui-Gon is summoned there with Obi-Wan for their new mission on Pijal. And before we get into that conversation where Kaj tells them really everything that they need to know and that we as readers need to know about what's going on at Pijal, let's talk about Chancellor Kaj. This is our first introduction to her, as far as I'm aware. I don't know if she has appeared in in other... I see that you're excited to talk about her as well. I don't know if she's appeared before, but let's talk about her. First of all, Chancellor Kaj, she is a Togruden, which is awesome because... You know, up until now, our knowledge of chancellors has only been, you know, Valorum and Sheev, you know, human chancellors. So we're already seeing some different representation in the highest office in the galaxy. And that also, and this is so pure, 
Instead of running for re-election, Qui-Gon notes that she is instead returning to her homeworld to start an academy for the arts. And I don't know about you, she is now instantly my favorite <laughs> chancellor of all time. She's the last good one, I think. Because <laughs> between Valorum and Palpatine, it didn't go very well after she left. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> she was the last spark, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I do wonder what happened to her. She she seems so wholesome. And there's also a scene, I guess, at the beginning of next chapter, just one line where it's just her stock soars incredibly in this chapter. I just, I loved her instantly. And, you know, moreover, Qui-Gon's looking around her office and, you know, he's noticing that it is full of gifts from all different worlds that are just thankful for her service. So she was well loved by everyone. And she mm-hmm. seems like already just the real MVP of Star Wars in general. <laughs> She was the calm before the storm. (laughs) (laughs) We need more Chancellor Kosh, please. Can we just, like, Uh, bring her back? Can we have her? Yeah, I mean, if they, if they, you know, (laughs) exactly, you know, please come to Earth, Kosh, we need you here. (laughs) Especially. (laughs) She would have had my vote. She would have had my vote. I'm not, you know, (laughs) I can say that. I can say that much. (laughs) So. We get into the meat of the chapter here, which is, you know, an an aid droid to Kaj comes up and shows them a chunk of the inner rim, which is including this Bynum Maw and this nebula that has disrupted old hyperspace routes and has really cut off certain worlds from trade in the galaxy. And glowing at the heart of this maw is is this Pijal hyperspace corridor. And we're gathering that the implications of this corridor are pretty massive here, where these worlds have been cut off from trade, but now there seems to be an opportunity to bring these worlds back into the fold. And this was a lot of exposition here, but you know, what were your, I guess, general thoughts on kind of the implications of what our two heroes are about to dive into here? There's a lot at stake. I think that this is such a politically loaded move. And the book itself is entirely based on politics as well. But we are looking at this world that is going to have this great opportunity to become a little bit more self-reliant and to kind of step into the light. And what they are going to help with, I mean, this is kind of the do or die time. If they are not able to facilitate her successfully signing this treaty, I mean, the weight of her world is kind of leaning on her and their future and their potential growth because they've kind of been stagnant. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they they have been kind of comfortable-ish in their isolationism, but... You know, for the the implications for the world surrounding Pajal, you know, we we can gather that Pajal is is doing okay. You know, maybe it could benefit more with kind of the full power of the Republic trade into the system and the other worlds as well. And, you know, we do get some interesting thoughts at kind of the contrast between worlds like Coruscant and less wealthy worlds. I think uh, in chapter eight, Obi-Wan has a comment on that. So we'll we'll get to that. But then Kaj tells them about the opposition. And so far in this book, we have just seen them appear a couple of times in a couple of different attacks that they have done on Pijal. I think they set a warehouse ablaze and they blew up a factory, but we don't know much about them other than just they exist as a group, Mm -hmm. a terrorist group of some sort. And (laughs) Kaj is telling Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan about them. And apparently the opposition weren't always a terrorist group and that they started out as a performance arts troupe. (laughs) And I just have this quote, Neither Qui-Gon nor Obi-Wan said anything for a long moment. Finally, Qui-Gon managed, you're serious. (laughs) That was just like, 
Same. <laughs> we learned that their leader started out as an interpretive dancer and then got into explosives, like interpretive dance by day, <laughs> explosives by night. This is so strange. What were, what were your thoughts on this reveal? I, I I want to know more about who, hey, is it Halen or Holland? I've been saying Holland Azuka. I Holland. really want to know. I think it might be Halen though, because like the one L, but yeah. I don't know. I Yeah, I, you, you can say whichever. I'm not, I, I'm just, I'm just going in blind. <laughs> Uh, I would really like to know more about what Halen Azuka is about because I feel like that's a really big leap to make from expressive <laughs> dance to um, blowing things up and targeting ships and causing general mayhem. I feel like those are two very separate things. So what's going on in her world that she felt like that was something that she felt the need to transition into what kind of because I feel like anytime someone becomes radical it comes from a place of desperation and righteousness and without Mm. those factors without feeling like a you are right to take extreme measures and b you are you feel desperate enough to make that leap you don't do that there needs to be a certain climate for that person to change that much so i would like to know what that climate was for her that transitioned her from performance arts to blowing stuff up (laughs) which that that would look interesting on a resume i will say um but that that's such a good point because you know we don't know much about them and right now they're being painted as the bad guys we do know that they have avoided loss of life until this point so part of me wonders maybe they care about their world enough they're trying at all costs to avoid killing anyone and and if there's anything that you know we can gather from you know what we've learned about qui-gon so far we've learned about his take on the universe and kind of his take on the universe is that nothing is black and white here and that you know until we know more about their motives about you know why they're doing what they're doing it's hard to say that they're flat out bad i guess just because they're they're not killing people so there has to be a reason for that and we just we don't know but it's so fascinating to wonder that and that you're right you know if they're coming from a place of desperation you know maybe their intentions are good we don't know obi-wan doesn't know he's throwing out a guess as to why they might be disrupting Mm -hmm. uh, stability on on the planet no one knows and so they're being sent to avoid the loss of life but also to find out what's going on and also to make sure that this treaty is being pressed forth like you were saying this make sure that this treaty gets signed and i think for me when i was reading this i hit kind of a catch where chancellor kaj is sending them to prevent the loss of life yes but mostly to make sure that the treaty is signed and i'm wondering do you think that the republic would look to get involved if they didn't have anything to gain there with the trade that could happen if they control this route if there was no hyperspace corridor that they could gain from do you think that they would be bothered about you know potential loss of life on pajal it's kind of cynical but no i what do you think I think you're right. I think that without an ulterior motive, she would have no reason to be sending the Jedi there. And the Jedi are peacekeepers by nature, but they do have a tendency to maybe exacerbate situations and Mm. maybe seeing a Jedi, I feel like even when there is a high tension situation, when Jedi become a part of that equation, it escalates and it kind of inspires people to maybe behave more violently because they feel threatened by that presence, even though they are historically 
Barkley peacekeepers. So I feel like sometimes it's a catch-22 when you send the Jedi in because it sometimes makes it a little bit more intense. Exactly. You're, you're seeing the Republic send kind of like their elite peacekeepers law enforcers, you know, in, in, a, in a way, you know, someone shows up with a laser sword, it could, I just said laser sword, someone shows up with a lightsaber. <laughs> and you're right, it could exacerbate the circumstances where you wonder maybe, will this backfire? Will loss of life happen now that they see, oh, they're sending in Jedi to deal with us, they might want to hurt us. It's mm -hmm. a tricky situation. It really is. And we hear Chancellor Kaj tells them about this governance treaty that Rail Avaros on Pijal is trying to sign mm -hmm. that would end Pijal's isolationism and that would open the opportunity for other worlds to join in with the hyperspace corridor, but mostly for the Republic to take control and mediate these deals between these worlds to use this, this corridor. And I had a thought here, wouldn't it be a twist if the Zerka Corporation was behind trying to disrupt the corridor being opened because they wouldn't want the Republic to come in and take away some of their influence. I'm kind of spitballing here. I don't know what that sounds like to you, but you know, we're kind of just, we just don't know why this is happening. That was just a thought that came to me. I mean, I'm not entirely convinced that the Circa Corporation has Pijal's best interest at heart. I think that it is an easy way for them to keep doing what they're doing and get what they want. So maybe no, they don't want it to change. Yeah. I mean, they have a good deal of control and influence there. Why, why would you want to change a good thing? Exactly. You know, why would, why would you change the circumstances to that would involve you lessening your, your hold on this system, on, on you know, lessening your power? And we mm -hmm. do see in one of the progressing scenes that they use slaves. Uh, so we know that they are not great. We know that they have a lot of influence in Pijal. And so, I don't know, that's a possibility that they might want to keep the status quo for maybe nefarious reasons, business interests over mm -hmm. the people. It's There's so many variables here, which I love brilliant writing from Claudia Gray setting this stage. It, we're just left with so many questions going in. Yeah. This, this meeting is supposed to answer a lot of our questions about what's going on. We're just left with so many more, more questions. So. Exactly. And so Kaj tells them that it was Rail who requested the Jedi and notes that he's a controversial figure amongst the Jedi and Qui-Gon notes that they were good friends. And this is kind of implying maybe that there's some beef between them and we'll get more into that, but definitely an interesting, you know, Qui-Gon is in his own rights controversial with the Jedi, but then maybe Rail is more so. I just, again, a lot of questions setting the scene, but now there's potentially beef between our main character and the guy who's literally reaching out for help. Uh, what, what was your take on that? As far as Qui-Gon and him having conflict with people, I don't see him ever truly having a legitimate dislike or um, disagreement with anyone, but I think he definitely is capable of distancing himself from someone who he might think is a bad news bear. <laughs> <laughs> probably, has a, probably has a reason, you know? If, yeah. Uh... We can expect that from Qui-Gon and, you know, it makes us want to know more because their rail is maybe expecting them to show up and like, hey, we're happy to help you. And then Qui-Gon's there being like, I hate you or some, something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll see. But the situation, this meeting does end on an awkward note where Kaj tells them, you know, I know that this is a lot to take in to speaking to Qui-Gon, especially with your recent offer to join the council and... Obi-Wan had not been told up until that point. So he's finding this out, not from Qui-Gon, not from his master, 
but from just kind of like a passing in conversation moment where Kaj does not have bad intentions here. She thinks that, you know, Qui-Gon has already talked to him about this. We would hope that he would have done that by now, but, you know, I just have this quote here, quote, the wave of shock that went through Obi-Wan was so great it could be felt through the Force. And this chapter ends on a huge sinking feeling. <laughs> We're just left like, Ooh. of all the ways... Of all the ways he could have found out, that was not great. I mean, it's like you're sitting at a family dinner with some out-of-town family, and they're like, oh, so how's the divorce going, Karen? And the kids are just like, to divorce? What? (laughs) Oh, my God. But, I mean, it's like his, you know, adult figure in his life. So, really, that's like, wait, but who gets the kid? That's where Obi-Wan like, what, is at. What happens to me? <laughs> Where's our happy family? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, they weren't entirely happy going into this, but, no, but you know, things were starting happy. to look a little bit better between them, and now it's just come crashing apart in the worst possible way. It was hard to read. It was hard to read. <laughs> it was uncomfortable. Because yeah. <laughs> you can just, and it'll like, only get more Qui-Gon uncomfortable. going, oh, Oh. I think he closed his eyes to try and just kind of remove himself from the situation. Then he felt that shockwave in the force and was like, yep. He kind of brought this on himself, though. He brought this on himself, I will say. I I have to be fair to Obi-Wan. Qui-Gon should have told him by now. Well, I think that they shouldn't have been telling um, the Chancellor about it until he had made a decision. So why are other people besides the Council knowing about this and talking about it casual-like? That's a fair point. You know, the Jedi are uh, maybe mismanaging this a little bit bit come on yoda um like don't is... be putting it out there like common knowledge he hasn't accepted the position you know exactly and and yet there is obi-wan thinking that this is set in stone so it's just everyone loses you know qui-gon's yep. being like i suck as a master and obi-wan's like holy <laughs> <laughs> and that oh. is that is how the chapter ends it was packed. A lot of exposition, learning about what we're, get, what we're about to get into on Pijal, and then the climax of this moment between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And what are, what are your thoughts on the close of this chapter before we move on to Seven? Oh, it was more of a feeling than thoughts, and it's just kind of that pit in your stomach. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Just like, it's so uncomfortable. Like, you feel physically uncomfortable reading it because you can just tell were this a real room with real people in it what that energy would have felt like going through the room and it's just the worst because cash doesn't know that anything bad has happened she is continuing on her wholesome route you know not knowing of this just earthquake that just happened but it's just the tension between these two now and it'll kind of come to a boiling point in this next chapter so i will read my summary for seven and then we can dive into that roller coaster ride Obi-Wan is left feeling hurt and shameful at Qui-Gon not telling him about the Council's invitation. Tensions rise even further between the two when his master tries to talk about it in the Padawan Dojo. On Pajal, Zerka supervisor Merrick Cole raises concerns about the two new Jedi being sent to the planet to help with the investigations. Rail Avaros makes his case for Qui-Gon being chosen, citing his complete trust in the Jedi Master. In his quarters, Qui-Gon wrestles with his views towards Rail, watching footage of a mission gone horribly wrong involving Rail and his former Padawan. Grandmaster Yoda calls Qui-Gon and asks him to speak with Rail on Pijal about former Jedi Dooku, whose departure from the Order still remains a mystery. 
instantly as this chapter starts, we are met with kind of the the fall fallout. the fallout of <laughs> what just happened. You know, before we dive in, what are your thoughts on chapter seven as a as a whole? It started off as a little bit of a dumpster fire, but it got better. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I mean. <laughs> There's only up really from here, so you, yeah. I think you're right. We are starting the chapter in like the worst emotional place possible. And then, you know, exactly. we, we kind of like, we're patting some of the embers and throwing some blankets on some flames. It's fine. You know, the, kind of in the burning room, like the dog meme, or this, this, is, this fine. is fine. This is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised, because this is an Obi-Wan's point of view, this chapter opens in Obi-Wan's POV, where upon hearing what Kaj said, I was surprised to learn that Obi-Wan felt not really anger initially towards Qui-Gon, yet at least. But the first thing that kind of hit him was overwhelming shame at the fact that in his mind, he was not worthy enough of Qui-Gon telling him that news. You know, we'll get more into kind of this unfortunate aspect of kind of like the story so far where we get chapters with either Jedi's POV, where we know Qui-Gon's motivations here, we know Obi-Wan's feelings, and it's just hard to read. It's uncomfortable to read where, you know, Obi-Wan is kind of, you know, he's making assumptions, but we can't blame him. We know what he knows, and it's, we, we can't really blame Obi-Wan for feeling this way. Oh yeah, and I don't think there's any shame in his feelings. With the information given, he deserves to be hurt. You know, he's allowed to have those feelings. And I feel like the root of so many conflicts is misunderstanding and not having the full picture. And that's exactly what is happening to these two. And there's already a dissonance in their relationship. They have not found that step together as master and apprentice. Um, And I feel like that adds another layer of tension because they are constantly politely at odds yeah so that makes it a little bit more difficult for them to see each other's point of view yeah for sure i mean if they start off literally from day one on different feet you know different steps in 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 the path you know completely different personalities too they're always going to be fighting an uphill battle trying to reach a point where they can be at an understanding and you know it does understandably from here get worse but before we go into obi-wan's conversation (laughs) with qui-gon in the dojo i just want to touch on this wholesome moment from kaj chancellor kaj before we leave her where obi-wan is trying to leave the room in a hurry and qui-gon gets held back because kaj is asking him for advice to get a gift for Yoda as a thank you for working together, quote, but he's so hard to shop for. I thought that was amazing. You know, we 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 dive into a chapter of just chaos, thankfully from like a nice little high point from Chancellor Kaj. She seems so wholesome. I love her. Well, and she also, I mean, Yoda's not a materialistic person. He doesn't yeah. really have want or need things besides his necessities. But she's a person who really appreciates beauty and art. And I feel like yeah. those people inherently love to gift. And I totally get that because I gifting is one of my great joys in life. I love finding finding like the perfect gift for a person. So when I read that, I was like, I just love Same. you so much. Thank you. Yes, I he need, is so I need hard a to spit off series. <laughs> I wonder if she and Thrawn would be good friends, you know, both loving the arts as they as they do. I don't know. That's yeah. that is a tangent and a half. Um, <laughs> in different ways. In different very- ways. They're, they're, I feel like Kaj has a more wholesome appreciation of art where Thrawn just uses it like, as, Like, how you know, can I use this piece of artwork to co- totally dismantle a government? <laughs> <laughs> 
well. that'll be in a bonus episode. <laughs> um, uh, so we're back with Obi-Wan and a lot of this chapter is hard to read. Like I said, we have an opportunity to see things in Qui-Gon's POV, but Obi-Wan doesn't. And it's so easy when we read something like, quote, he wouldn't even tell me he'd no longer be my master. I wasn't even worth informing. It's so easy to get annoyed with Obi-Wan here because we, you know, we're seeing, dude, you're making assumptions. This isn't what Qui-Gon is thinking. But at the same time, he doesn't have that, you know, he's not reading Master and Apprentice here. He doesn't have that glimpse into Qui-Gon's psyche. And like you're saying, like you had touched on, the dissonance between them, Obi-Wan's insecurities, they're already deeply rooted here. Mm-hmm. And it's just all these layers are building up and building up. And we just, I said it before, we can't blame him here. No. It's so easy to be annoyed at him, but it's its a very real and understandable experience that he's going through well, right and now. And he's also, he's not an adult. He does not have an adult toolbox of how to deal with, process, and address emotions. And especially because he was raised in the Jedi Order. They aren't exactly great about telling them how to deal with their feelings. Just that, yeah, they're okay to have them, but not too many. Yeah, exactly. So it's, uh... <laughs> it's a lot to work through because he has this attachment to his master, but he also has a resentment for his master. And then you add this little bomb. It's like dropping it's a just, Mentos yeah. in a bottle of Coke. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> I wonder if the Jedi in their like science labs if they if they do that is there an equivalent do they actually have mentos that they drop in there I don't know you, you gotta wonder I we're learning a lot about the Jedi in the temple and all that I wonder I gotta reach out to Claudia and see if that's a goings on uh, do they have <laughs> the like elementary school science class projects or what <laughs> I mean, we know they have homework, so you know we can only assume until it's until it's disproven. Until I'm told that they don't have experiments where they drop Mentos and Coke, I'm going to assume they do. I'm going to assume they do. <laughs> so we have another point of frustration from Obi Wan here, where he's noting, you know, he's in the Padawan dojo, he's just blowing off steam. Understandable, you know, he's an angsty teen who now has all of this just blown up in his face. Understandable. It's like a punching bag, except he's just going through his lightsaber motions, and he's frustrated because apparently. Qui-Gon has only had him practicing and mastering and studying the basics of lightsaber combat. And Obi-Wan seeing his friends go on these amazing trips with their masters throughout the galaxy, yet he's stuck in the library studying prophecies. He's seeing his friends study advanced forms of lightsaber combat, yet he's stuck studying the basics. It's just, there's so much here for him to be frustrated at. I'm proud of him for not totally going off the deep end here. Props to Obi-Wan. Yet, it's just, it's a lot. And it's, you know, we have to understand, you know, we can see exactly where he's coming from. And Qui-Gon joins him in the dojo. And it is annoying Obi-Wan even further that in Qui-Gon trying to talk to him, Qui-Gon is remaining calm. Where I guess as Obi-Wan in his in his anger and his annoyance, he wants to see some kind of emotion from Qui-Gon, but Qui-Gon's just not showing it. And it quickly, con- the conversation quickly becomes derailed. I'm going to read this section here and then we can talk about it, how it just kind of gets derailed entirely. And he's talking to Qui-Gon about him studying the basics repeatedly. Quote, he twirled his lightsaber, brought it down into a lower stance. You can't have thought my skill was inadequate, so why not move on? But now I think I know the answer. Enlighten me, Qui-Gon said dryly. Because you decided a long time ago that you'd get rid of me one way or another. That we wouldn't work as Master and Padawan, so why bother planning ahead? Why even try? You knew it would be up to someone else to finish my training. You turned out to be a prophet after all, Master. First of all, that's a great mic drop to end 
that <laughs> quote on. It is hard to read. It is uncomfortable. I saw you shaking your head while I was reading it. What are your thoughts? He's just being a petulant teenager. <laughs> like, I'm just listening to him go and I'm like, you don't, you know that what you don't believe what you're saying is true. Mm. You're just so PO'd that you are being intentionally hurtful. And I hope you've gotten it out of your system now. Because <laughs> do you feel better? I guess Qui-Gon doesn't really help the situation after that, because now at this point, Qui-Gon's also a little worked up as well. Mm -hmm. And he claps back at, quote, I kept you in the basics for a reason, Obi-Wan. And if you'd ever understood why, you might have understood me well enough for us to excel as master and apprentice. As it is, I suppose the Force sometimes ensures things work out for the best. Man, Obi-Wan's going to need some ice for that burn. (laughs) (laughs) Like... It was so. I was like, Ugh. oh, okay, okay. Qui-Gon. all right, Qui Gon. That was a little bit. We can petty. bring the roast too. That was a little petty, but I respect it. You got to. I mean, they both. I think the score is at one to one. Obi Wan saying you're a prophet after all, master, and then Qui Gon slapping him back with that. It's one to one in my books. They're both going with to some quality roasts. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's funny it's like envisioning Liam Neeson yeah. <laughs> just roasting you and McGregor like this. <laughs> the scene ends here with Obi Wan thinking that he will probably never understand Qui Gon. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, which is fair. Can't really blame him there. And we move on to. Pijal. In Rail's point of view, where from what we've gathered from Rail so far, we've seen him kind of, you know, he has like a rogue nature, kind of like Qui-Gon, except more rogue. Um, mm-hmm. But he has a, a moment of, I, w- I wouldn't say brilliance here, but he we, we know that he can also think well for himself, where Merritt Cole, the circus supervisor, is saying, I don't know if it's a great idea to bring in two new Jedi. They wouldn't understand, quote, our arrangement on this planet and the correctness of what we do here. And I'm thinking, so they won't accept the fact that you use slaves cole do you want to talk about that um yikes big yikes that is that that made my 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 heart sink a little bit to you know if that's their biggest concern is maintaining slavery Mm, you know not not a a good good look But, uh, and, and Cole kind of asked a fair question to Rail here, you know, if you're a Jedi, why haven't you been able to solve this? And he gives a pretty sound answer, seeing that, you know, he's been living in the palace with Fanry, that Fanry's world has been his world, that his vision has been skewed just to what he can see from the palace, mm-hmm. and that he needs fresh eyes. A pretty sound point from Rail. I don't know if you had any thoughts on kind of, like, his reasoning there, because Cole asks a fair question. Yeah. You know, you're a Jedi, why haven't you been able to? And Rail kind of gives a a good answer here. He kind of holds his own and gives a good reason. Well, I, I really liked his answer. It was not prideful. He was honest. He's like, hey, I have been living this plush good life for several years now, and my sole purpose here has been Princess Fanry. I don't know how to connect with what's going on because I am limited to what my exposure is, and honestly, I've been here for so long that what I'm exposed to is what I accept. I need to see other people's point of view who don't know yeah. any of this or or any of what my opinions are. 
because I feel like so much opinion influences how you see the world around you. Yeah, that, that's a really great point. And I like how you said he didn't approach his answer from a prideful point of mm -hmm. view, where honestly, if there's anything we could have expected him to answer with in this moment, it would have been with pride. He, he seems yeah. very sure of himself. You know, he he wins Viractal races on the daily, uh, we can assume. We would have thought that maybe he would have approached that from a prideful point of view, but he's able to show that he can keep a level head and say that, yeah, I need fresh eyes. He knows he's admitting his weakness, which, mm -hmm. you know, as Obi-Wan will also point out, in the next chapter, that's not a common trait amongst the Jedi, like admitting their faults, admitting their weakness. And I was impressed with Rail. You know, yeah. we, we've kind of seen him as a wild card in the book so far, but, you know, he, he kind of scored some points here in my in my books. Oh yeah, he has a great deal of self-awareness. And self-awareness, I feel like people mistake it for being able to just like be a perfect person having great self-awareness. No, it means that you are aware of what you are good at, what you are not good at, and you can accept what you're not good at and say it without shame. Like that is not my thing so I need a different approach yeah and you know he he kind of ends his point on quote I'm surer of Qui-Gon Jinn than any other person I know which we ended the last scene on Obi-Wan not being sure of Qui-Gon he sees Qui-Gon as a mystery and I think it's a, a pretty nice juxtaposition here where to Obi-Wan Qui-Gon is a mystery to Rail he's completely sure of him so we're seeing the different points of view that you know I, I've I've kind of see these Jedi on a spectrum where Obi-Wan is, you know, it's very by the books on one side, Qui-Gon's kind of in the middle, Rail is on the other side, and we're seeing those two points of view and how they regard Qui-Gon. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of a shame when we move on to the next scene of the chapter where Qui-Gon is looking at this footage of this mission that went wrong. Yeah. Where Rail is, he's feeling sure about Qui-Gon, he's looking forward to him joining the mission there to help him. And Qui-Gon, he's going through this footage of this mission and he's wrestling with his feelings towards Rail. And, you know, it's, it's a very kind of suspenseful scene where the long and short of it, of what Qui-Gon is looking at here, is that Rail and his Padawan, Nim Piana, they were tasked with supervising a cargo freighter, and although they had prepared for potential pirate attacks, they weren't ready for, quote, a bloody mutiny. And usually when a mutiny would happen, the Jedi protocol, as Qui-Gon is thinking, is that the Jedi would take the bridge, and from there they can call for help, they can control kind of other parts of the ship from mm -hmm. the bridge, but Rail decided to go to the cargo bay first, and his logic, as explained by the council, was to prevent any chance of the mutineers and the pirates joining forces. And we can see where he's coming from there. And Qui-Gon's watching this footage, and we get this amazing thought from Qui-Gon here, I'm going to read it out for us, quote, into the fray leapt Avaros and his Padawan, a Thelothian in her first year of training. Nimpiana, Qui-Gon reminded himself. Her name was Nimpiana. She was more than just his Padawan. I love Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> he is one of my all-time favorite Star Wars characters, point blank. I think that he has one of the best, most level views of the world at large. And even within the Jedi Order, he takes the approach that I think is the healthiest yeah, so. for sure. We would think that it might be like a normal point of view to see everyone as unique, as their own person, as valued. And you know, unfortunately, that's not the reality. But Qui-Gon calls himself out there. Mm -hmm. She's not just a Padawan. She has a name. And this footage ends, you know, rather horrifyingly with Piana getting struck in the temple by a slicer dart, which from what we gather from the text, it took control of her actions through nanotechnology. And I'm just going to read uh, what Qui-Gon is witnessing as the end of this footage. Quote, Rail glimpsed his Padawan. Piana raised her lightsaber and charged him. Briefly, Rail hesitated. A decision was made. 
and it cuts to the council vindicating Rail after he killed his Padawan. We've had a lot of things that are hard to read. I've just got chills right now even even reading this again. Mm-hmm. It's like having to kill your own kid. This is a being that you have been raising in your image, you know? You are tasked with teaching this child your ways, and then you have to decide when that child is turned. I don't think I can make the same choice. Part of me (laughs) wants to respect Mm -hmm. the fact that Rail was able to make a decision. He could have been killed. In in this moment, it's either his life or hers. The outcome is horrible, especially from Qui-Gon's point of view. He really has never forgiven Rail as the council has. It's it's hard. It, it was avoidable. That's why. Because mm. Rail, being the kind of Jedi that he has been described to us, he's the shoot-his-way-out kind of person. Mm. And it was unnecessary. And lives could have been spared. Maybe they might have lost part of the ship, but they would have both been able to get out alive. Exactly. That is Qui-Gon's take here, where he's saying that, in a quote, she would have never been exposed to a slicer dart attack if Rail had obeyed protocols. Which, I will say, is pretty ironic coming from Qui-Gon gone to obey protocols (laughs) like you know a little glimpse of irony a little glimpse of grim humor in the moment Mm -hmm. um but he does have a point where the council was saying he did not have enough time there to save his padawan and the ship you know he had to act quickly and you know that's why they vindicated him qui-gon thinks what you're saying is that if he you know if he had obeyed the protocol none of this would have happened which is a fair point you know i can see where rail is coming from i can see where qui-gon's coming from kind of like the same where we can see where obi-wan's coming from and where qui-gon's coming from it's just brilliant writing from claudia here where you know we obviously don't have have Rail's thoughts, his personal thoughts on what he did here, but we can see there may be, unfortunately, two sides to the coin. It's just, I guess we can't know until Rail, if we ever get a chance to see his own thoughts, but it's just, you know, we're left with Qui-Gon's POV where, like you're saying, like you're expressing, he can't forgive him for that, mm. and it's hard, even if he's a Jedi Master. Well, and I, I don't even know that it's necessarily about forgiveness for Qui-Gon so mm. much as he wanted there to be an element of responsibility for who Rail was and the promises that Rail made as a Jedi and then how Mm. he fell short. He was just kind of vindicated and then left to go do something else instead of being confronted with those failures and held responsible for them. That doesn't mean that they need to kick him out or whatever, but there needs to be an element of a lesson here and not just the lesson Mm. of being forced to make yourself experience that loss. That's a that's a really great point. Maybe there's an element of Qui-Gon wanting to see some justice, maybe on a personal level, on a council decision-making level for what Rail did. Because in Qui-Gon's point of view, you know, he's thinking Rail could have gone away to a nice quiet planet to kind of reflect and meditate and become better after this horrifying moment. Yet here he is as a Lord Regent of Pijal. And so <laughs> it's just not a good look for Rail. I just killed my Padawan. I'm just going to go be Lord Regent and race for Actals and go crazy at the pub good and you know that plush life i'm living up in the castle exactly exactly and you're just sitting there like oh you look kind of like an idiot but it's okay it's fine (laughs) is it though qui-gon's like no it's not fine fine. why do you guys think this is fine (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. And, and we do get some insight as to why Rail has been mm-hmm. unorthodox, where Qui-Gon is, is noting that he had joined the Order at five years old, which is old for a Jedi, you know, and which compared to Anakin joining at nine, that, you know, <laughs> Anakin's a different case entirely. But, well, we saw how you know, we went. can... Exactly. We we saw how that went. Not great. Um, <laughs> which, which is interesting here because Qui-Gon's noting that this is why Rail has never been able to really master his emotions. You know, he was still attached to the family that he left. I'm seeing a lot of parallels here with Anakin. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating to see how Qui-Gon's like, this is exactly why he turned out this way. He was still missing his family, still attached to his family. He wasn't able to control his emotions. He joined late. I'm just going to take Anakin nine years old over here. Totally fine. He can handle it. He's strong. with You know what? He's not just strong with the force. He is the chosen one. (laughs) That's what does it. I just, I wonder what changes for Qui-Gon here, because he's thinking very in definitive terms, like this could have been prevented. You know, this was bound to happen with just how he is, with his upbringing. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what changes. Do you think it's just the fact that Anakin was the chosen one, which is why Qui-Gon was like, you know what, let's take this chance. You know, he could be the fulfillment of the prophecy. What do you think changes? I think that Anakin himself advocated for his content of character as a child, because he selflessly gave and helped strangers and what he was a generally really good kid and i think that because qui-gon feels the way he feels about slavery that was also an aspect that softened him to anakin's plight so i think Mm -hmm. that the situations are paralleled yes and they did go bad because of the same exact reasons that he's listing here but i think he was blinded by a really good kid yeah for sure. I mean, and we have to look at each circumstance, each situation mm-hmm. with its own unique factors. And that is a really good point where it wasn't it wasn't just a, a clear cut situation for Qui-Gon where it's like, you know, Anakin also was showing Qui-Gon why he might be a good prospect or at least Qui-Gon saw it that way. Mm-hmm. We do get this moment from Qui-Gon where he's sympathizing with the Order. He's seeing why they showed Rail the compassion that they did with his unique circumstance. But he also thinks they went a little bit too far with completely vindicating him for what yeah. he did. And, you know, his his opinion of Rail has only soured ever since. And I just, I thought, like, in one circumstance, we see Qui-Gon valuing the uniqueness and the kind of, like, the, the individual that Piana was. Yet here, he's kind of wishing that Rail wasn't as unique of a background as, as he had. That he didn't, you know, have these unique circumstances that, that led to everything unfolding that the way that they were where it's like we're seeing kind of a a contrasting image here where Qui-Gon's valuing Piana as a person but also wishing that Rail had just been like any other Jedi. What what are your thoughts on on that? (sighs) I can see why Qui-Gon is really good at playing devil's advocate and I think he wants to see all sides of everything so he's basically sitting there arguing with himself right now. Yeah. (laughs) 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 He literally just covered every base of the argument and he was like, well, this is wrong, but this is also why it was okay, but also it should have been this way instead. And (laughs) he just had like an entire conversation with himself about both sides of the argument. It's a lot to stew on and, you know, you got to feel feel for him there. Uh, You know, he's doing the right thing of looking at every aspect of the situation. It it is very complex. Yeah. If there's anything we've gathered from anything in this book, everything is complex. But Qui-Gon is resolving to himself that he's going to tell Obi-Wan about Rail's backstory here. And, quote, it felt like the worst possible time to talk with Obi-Wan about a master killing his Padawan. 
But Qui-Gon would tell him the whole story as soon as possible. I'm like, dude, you're not wrong. <laughs> is it the best move? <laughs> is it is it the best move to go ahead and be like, you know what? I want to tell you a story, Obi-Wan. <laughs> so this Padawan was real mouthy. <laughs> Guess what happened? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, not gonna. I mean, we'll we'll see how that goes. Can I just thought that was really funny. I We're just like, you know, say that I love Claudia Gray. <laughs> <laughs> Pour on the praise. I, I've been doing that for you know for a while now, even into the few chapters into this book. So her please. sense of humor and her comedic timing are just spot on. She's got it down to to a point. I love it. It's in her like moments like that kind of lighten the mood a little bit you know especially because we just talked about some heavy stuff and that's where you know we can have a have a laugh so Mm -hmm. um and the chapter ends with yoda calling qui-gon and you know he's telling him you know when you're on pijal try to find out what happened with dooku you know since rail was also a student of dooku so that's like a point of connection between qui-gon and rail and it kind of ends on the sour note here where Yoda also says that he did not approve of Qui-Gon's selection for the council. Quote, pick you for the council, I did not. Unsuited you are in many ways. Yet the council has spoken, and by that decision, I shall stand. Like, that's pretty damn blunt from Yoda. <laughs> Like, I know we love Yoda. (laughs) But you are a savage. (laughs) Very. He's like, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was feeling a little bit salty towards him after he just (laughs) took that shot at Qui-Gon. I'm like, dude, what? Really? And Qui-Gon's sitting there like, all right, dude. What is this? Good talk, bro. (laughs) Thanks. Like, we haven't seen this level of savagery from Yoda before, so that was just out of nowhere. It hit hard. Man, no, it was like, it it was a smackdown. There were no punches pulled. He was like, yeah, I didn't really want you to be on my team, but here you are. (laughs) Just, just, so like. Or like, oh, how did you end up at my party? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you weren't invited. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh. (laughs) Mace over there told me I could come, and Yoda's like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> you're already here <laughs> help yourself to the chips i guess you know um <laughs> doors open there yeah your uber's outside i think is that <laughs> uh, and, and yeah the scene ends on that kind of flame from yoda uh any closing thoughts on chapter seven before we move on to wrap it up with chapter eight I, I really, these are some of my favorite chapters, I think, um, earlier on in the book, just because they do so well set the stage for what's going to happen. And we're getting all the tools we need right now to understand the whole book. Exactly. You know, we're, we're going in with, you know, with a full arsenal into the Pijal situation. You know, we, you know, the foundations for the characters are being set and then also for the plot that they are about to mm-hmm. fly into. So, you know, great writing from Claudia Gray. Keep on the praise. Um, <laughs> I will give my summary for chapter eight and then we can move on from there. On a transport to Pijal, Qui-Gon tells Obi-Wan about the tragedy of Rail and his former apprentice. They both share concerns at Rail having been accepted to the Order at such a late age, and discuss how that had affected his tenure with the Jedi since. However, Qui-Gon also urges his Padawan to focus on the mission at hand. Once in the Pajal system, Qui-Gon tells Obi-Wan about Pajal's planetary shield, 
and about the ancient forms of force worship maintained by the planet's natives. As they watch a spacecraft emerge from Pijal's surface, moving toward one of the planetary shield generators, an explosion of plasma suddenly erupts from its side. Realizing they only have moments before the plasma energy breaches the ancient craft's hull and kills the passengers, the two Jedi prepare to intervene. This is when they finally arrive to the party. Mm -hmm. As we see, it goes south pretty quick. Any general thoughts on Chapter 8 before we dive right in? I like how right before everything goes down in a handbasket, they're just like, man, if something were to happen to one of those soul ships, (laughs) that might really screw with the people's view on these antiques. Was that an explosion? Oh. (laughs) Oh, did I just like put that out into the universe and will it into being because my bad? The Force is like, oh, that would be a cool idea, That's wouldn't it? That's a good <laughs> plot <laughs> twist. Yeah, let's do that. It's It was very much like a, and what could possibly go wrong moment, and then instantly, <laughs> boom. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> we open the chapter in Obi-Wan's point of view, and he and Qui-Gon are kind of, they're kind of making up here. You know, they're talking about how Obi-Wan has purposely been avoiding Qui-Gon on the flight, very angsty teen of of Obi-Wan, just doing everything under the sun to not talk to Qui-Gon. But then they finally have a chat, and Obi-Wan's reflecting, you know, because Qui-Gon is pointing out, you know, Obi-Wan is very mature for admitting, you know, what he's doing here, knowing that it could hurt Qui-Gon. And he's saying that, you know, at his age even, that he wouldn't be so quick to do that. And Obi-Wan's reflecting here how Qui-Gon had always been quick to admit his faults, which is, quote, a kind of humility rarer among the Jedi than it should have been. And I wonder why that might be. Just, uh, you know, I guess briefly, where do you think that's maybe like a superiority complex that is kind of developed consciously or unconsciously? Well, I think the environment of the Jedi is, I mean, they are an elite group of peacekeepers who believe that what they believe is good and right and just. And I feel like that environment in and of itself breeds a certain amount of superiority in their own mind. And some of that might be misplaced because I feel like sometimes they are blinded to the reality of situations and that maybe they are not always in the right in the actions that they take and that the people, because they are also so tied to politics and to um, the Republic, that sometimes they are sent by the Republic to systems unjustly and they are being used as a means to an end to resolve things that are outside of their jurisdiction for what they should be doing. They should be keeping the peace. So I yeah. I feel like sometimes it's a misstep and the pridefulness is a byproduct of that. Yeah. It's it's a symptom, if you will. For sure. No, for sure. I mean, that's you know very well put where it kind of just I guess kind of creeps in and then in the nature of what they've been tasked to do over the years and we see obviously that mm-hmm. kind of take a fuller shape once you know they move into the clone wars and yeah. uh, get into all of that we do have some interesting thoughts from qui-gon in, in the next scene of the chapter because you know the as the rest of this scene unfolds uh, i don't want to it's basically qui-gon telling obi-wan of everything that he had seen on the footage so they, they do have a chat about rail but it's a lot of what we had already just talked about yep. of him being admitted older and the kind of like the risks with that so i'm not going to get caught up on that and you know we can move into the next scene here where they've arrived to Pajal, 
they see this ancient planetary shield, which I thought was pretty cool to find out, you know, Qui-Gon saying that its purpose is to protect the planet from solar flares, from intense solar flares that happen every so often, you know, which which I thought was pretty cool here. And Obi-Wan, kind of in line of what you're just talking about with the Jedi being, you know, they're kind of at the center of politics, at the center of the Republic, their vision is skewed as a product of that, like you put very well. And Qui-Gon's thinking here, he's, he's remarking at Obi-Wan being kind of incredulous at like, the shield's that old? Like, how are they, you know, how is this even work that well? Like, I feel, you know, Obi-Wan is excited for when the hyperspace corridor can open so that the Republic can come in and help them to become more modern. And Qui-Gon has some, some brilliant thoughts here where he's noticing how sheltered Obi-Wan is. And he's wondering why the Jedi raised their younglings on the richest, the busiest, most influential planet in the galaxy, so far removed from so many of these smaller worlds that don't have it as well as Coruscant. And I think there's just a small section here that I'd like to read. And Qui-Gon's thinking to himself, quote, There are numerous worlds safe enough for us to shelter the younglings where life is lived more simply, in ways more familiar throughout the galaxy, where the children might be surrounded by farmland or fish beings, where we might interact more with the communities around us and train new Jedi to be as much a part of the worlds as separate from them. And then he catches himself. He's like, I shouldn't get caught up in all of this thinking towards the future. Really, you know, I guess I had that moment earlier where I'm remarking about how much I love Qui-Gon. He is so good. Mm -hmm. I think he would be amazing on the council. He's an invaluable part of the order. What were your thoughts on these kind of kind of revolutionary thoughts there? He's, he's pointing out some really good factors here that are clouding the Jedi's experience. Like, even the innocent and young as, as Obi-Wan, he's mm -hmm. noticing how sheltered of an upbringing that's kind of raising these Jedi into. I think he would have been wasted on the council. Mm. It's like with anything where if you have too many people on one side of something or the other and then you decide to put someone who's more in the middle than anything, but who by someone who's like too far in one direction or the other politically, that middle yeah. person now seems radical. Yeah. So I feel like it would have been an uphill battle and maybe he might have become jaded or just stopped investing in where yeah. he did not see growth happening but I do think that he more times than not got it right and had he not met the end that he did that he might have been the future of what the Jedi Order should have been modeling themselves after and reconnecting yeah. with the world around them rather than being so politically entrenched and living so opulently. Yeah, that I mean, that's the the what ifs of if Qui-Gon had survived are so... So many. I have so, so many. many opinions. <laughs> so many. And, and we're just, we're seeing, I just wish there were more Jedi who thought like him, where this is something mm -hmm. as simple as where they raise and teach the younglings, where you know, you're kind of digging yourself in a hole if you're if all the Jedi are focused and raised and, and brought up on Coruscant, where they're used to just the rich and, and you know, just the busy planet and you know, being at the center of politics. And then when they come out to worlds like this, they kind of come in through a different lens. They are a little bit and elitist. Exactly. I'm just gonna They're... say it. <laughs> Someone <laughs> had to say it. <laughs> if it looks like an apple, it's probably an apple. They're a little bit elitist. <laughs> I mean, they they are spoiled, and that doesn't mean that they are bad or wrong or no. 
undeserving. It just means that they are spoiled to what their experiences are. And they miss the point of importance in all of these worlds. Like farming worlds have worth. It might not be the worth that you are shown every day, but that world has worth. This world, they don't view these things as ancient, decrepit, falling apart. These are relics. These are talismans. These are parts of their history that they have built their culture around. And they respect them. That's why they keep them. But he just sees it as old junk. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, you know, Qui-Gon tries to tell him, you know, Obi-Wan's talking about this soul craft that they see rise mm-hmm. from Pajal's surface. And it's an old, ancient ship. Like you're saying, it's like a relic to the ancient inhabitants of Pajal where they actually use these craft to experience the Force in a different way where it's like they live on this beautiful planet, but they used to go up in these craft to just be in the silence and the darkness of space to better appreciate the world that, I don't know if mm-hmm. the Force created for them down on Pajal. I don't know how that works, but to better appreciate what they have. And it's just simple things like this that go really a long way. And we can see again why and where Obi-Wan is coming from, where he's coming from. But thankfully, we have Qui-Gon here to tell him these are actually really important to their culture. Mm -hmm. They, They look old, but these are sacred to them. And, you know, like you were saying at the beginning of the chapter, you know, he's thinking, you know, pretty much it would just be a shame. Like, you know, it's, it's about time something like just... It would be a shame if that blew up. <laughs> exactly. It's like, uh, I don't know. What did he say here? Um, he's wondering to himself how long before one of these ships failed. <laughs> speaks into existence uh, that plasma explosion erupts from the side of the ship <laughs> it's just like an oh thanks Qui-Gon moment and uh, they're noticing that you know it's only about time before the plasma breaches the hull because right now it's venting into space but before long this there's only so much this old hull can maintain and Qui-Gon tells the pilot take us in closer we can still save those passengers aboard and I'm just going to read the end of this chapter right here I think it was a great cliffhanger I think it was much more like it from Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan or quote not if we act quickly Qui-Gon shucked his robe preparing for what lay ahead as his garment fell to the floor Obi-Wan's fell beside it Some Padawans would have hesitated, but not his. You heard my master, Obi-Wan said to the navigator. Take us in. I got chills reading that after we've discussed the rift Mm -hmm. between them. This is more like it, isn't it? In a moment of need, they forget themselves and know that unity is what is necessary for the greater good. And I think those are super important qualities. And that speaks a lot to Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan is still really salty. Like he's, he's still, he's, he's burned. (laughs) He got burned. It's been a rough couple of days. And I feel that that speaks to the Jedi that he's going to become more than the Padawan that he is right now that he... Mm let go of his sense of self and remembered his duty and loyalty meant more than his pride at that moment. I couldn't have said that better. You know, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. I can't top that. You know, that's a, it's a beautiful moment where <laughs> that, that is the mic that you have now added your mic drop to the couple of mic drops that we've already had on this, uh, on the show. So Mission accomplished. that is how it ends with that. Just, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, a more hopeful moment between them where like you're saying, despite everything that's happened, the moment needs them to act quickly and to act together. And that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And that's how the chapter ends. And that's how this episode ends. Amanda, your thoughts on these, you know, the, uh, as we close out these three chapters, there's a lot that happened, a lot of plot development. Right now, they're at the scene of, you know, where the rest of the book is going to take place. Mm-hmm. They're already in the thick of some action as we close out. What are your thoughts? I love this book so much and coming back to it and getting to read a couple of chapters and do this with you is like 
saying hi again to an old friend because this was the <laughs> first book that we did. And I am again just so, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Hmm. It's there somewhere in my brain. I swear. <laughs> I, I am all of the words. <laughs> I, every word. They're all words. I have all the words. The best words. The biggest words. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> I, I you know, to. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop the count. I'm gonna stop the podcast. Uh, no, <laughs> Full stop. Whoa. <laughs> um, if you're going down a path. I can't follow you. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's okay. We're all safe uh, now. I'm not cutting that at all. I'm not cutting that. <laughs> <laughs> I am so inspired reading this book again. Because this book really takes me to my favorite uh, place in Star Wars. I love, I'm a prequels girl. I love the prequels. I saw the first one when I was, I think, nine years old in theaters. And mm. I just remember the awe that I experienced seeing a Star Wars movie for the first time in a theater. And this kind of brings you back there. And I don't think that there is anyone who is more um, qualified to write Qui-Gon than Claudia Gray because yeah. she does just such an exemplary job. I love it. I love all the themes. I love the humor. I love that she doesn't shy away from the darkness when she's writing about it. She writes hard things, uncomfortable yeah. <laughs> things, um, very hard, very uncomfortable moments, and she does it with grace. So yeah, I'm still in love with this book. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard not to. Uh, you know, I know it's very. And I've said this before in uh, in the previous episodes. I know it is very different of a read than any other kind of action-packed Star Wars book that mm -hmm. we might have read before. Uh, it's very unique yes. in the way that she builds the characters, how she allows those characters to interact, how she shows us where everyone is coming from, and we're forced to reconcile, you know, of what to make of, of these you know, different points of views clashing, and we know what they should be thinking but they're not it's it's there's the tension the character development now setting the scene for the action on Pijal mm -hmm. it's going to be a very politically intense situation and we still have Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan struggles to deal with as well it, I, I I totally agree Claudia does a masterful job yeah. uh writing Master and Apprentice and <laughs> it's been uh, it's been really good talking about these three chapters with you a lot again a lot has happened and this has been a great discussion before we close out, though, if the listeners wanted to find you and your work on the internet, could you tell them where they could do so and just talk a little bit about what you do? Okay, so I am on the podcast network Twin Sons Outpost, and we can be found at Twin Sons Outpost on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And then we have the TSO Book Club, which can be found on Twitter at TSO Book Club. And we have a Facebook group as well that people can engage in. Um, which is also TSO Book Club. <laughs> We're getting really redundant. It's fine. And consistent. Then... <laughs> it's consistent. <laughs> it just makes it easy across the platforms. And then oh, exactly. <laughs> if anyone wants to find me, I am on Twitter and Instagram under at Twin Sons Amanda. Awesome, awesome. And do you want to talk a little bit about um, the Space Buns uh, videocast? Yes, Space Buns is our baby, and she is on YouTube, and um, she is this really amazing video blog, video cast thing that my co-host Jesse and I kind of um, willed into existence during quarantine, because we're sitting there and we're like, well, 
there's plenty <laughs> of female run podcasts and there's plenty of networks that you know have some great content as far as the women of Star Wars but we have yet to see something that is like episode for episode every one giving space to a woman in the Star Wars community whether it be a character a writer um we just did Kiri Hart a couple months ago and she I mean she was on the Lucasfilm story group she kind of headed it she was handpicked by Kathleen Kennedy I mean we have so many great women that have contributed um to the Star Wars universe so we just wanted to take that time and that space up a little bit and give everyone some space buns (laughs) (laughs) I like what you did there I like what you did there that is very important and I'm glad that you both do that and, and, and create that space and create that space buns uh, atmosphere. Um, <laughs> again, that, that is really important. And that's really spot on listeners. I will post links to all of Amanda's work uh, in the episode description. Amanda, thank you again for coming on the show to talk about these great chapters. I really appreciate you uh, making the time to talk about them. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was my pleasure. I always love talking some Star Wars. <laughs> especially when it's the top quality Master and Apprentice Claudia Gray Star Wars. (laughs) And before we close up today, I will give our discussion question for these chapters. So based on what we've learned about Rail's character so far from his POV and from Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's conversations about him, do you agree with Qui-Gon's assumptions about Rail's decision in the tragedy involving Piana? Do you think Qui-Gon will be able to set aside his own critical feelings towards Rail if they work together on Pijal? And listeners, I will post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please send us a response on any of those platforms or by email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay up to date on the show and our discussion questions, feel free to give us a follow on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is hosted by Andrew Geha, it is produced by Andrew Geha, and this episode was edited by Connor Floyd. We will be back in two weeks with episode 25, so until then, sit back and enjoy. With the holiday season coming up, it's time to start thinking about gifts. Have a chat with Qui-Gon over there. I hear he gives great shopping advice.